The following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. How many of you have ever seen one of these up, and clo- up close and personal like? Many of you. Okay. See the nice thorns? Inch and a half, two inches long. I don't want you to be fooled by the graphic nature of what we're about to read. I don't want you to be fooled and check out mentally because you don't like the image of what you're about to hear. We live in a culture that is excessively graphic. The video games we play, even the stupid little games that we download for free on our phones, are exceptionally graphic. So graphic that kids don't realize the difference between a character in a book and reality of life. And yet, the scene I'm about to read is one of the hardest scenes for us to personally grasp. It's one that nobody likes to look at. It's one of the movies we can watch. We can watch movies over and over where people are blowing each other up. But how many of us can sit through multiple viewings of the passion? We just can't do it. We can handle all the blood and gore of horror films. And reading through this section of scripture, we skip it. Because we don't like it. Because of the graphic nature. I want you to think about that. You can read it on the screen with me. If you don't like graphic images, you can look and read it in your bulletin. But we're setting for where we're about to read. As we close out this series on don't be fooled, don't be fooled by the graphic nature is early, early Good Friday. As the sun is coming up, Jesus has already been flogged. That's where they have the cat, the, the cat of nine tails with thorns from this, shards of glass and sharp pottery attached to the ends. We don't realize and, and want to even admit the fact that that flogging in Roman culture was actually considered merciful for those who were condemned to die by crucifixion because they would probably die before they got to crucifixion or would die within the first couple hours due to the extreme dehydration. It's a graphic scene, and we don't like it. And, and he's been flogged, and now he's taken into the praetorium. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They were told to have about a legion on hand. 6,000 men would have been roughly at the peak of Roman rule would have been a legion, and a full legion would have been dispatched to Jerusalem because of festival time. So you would have, you're talking somewhere between four and 6,000 guys would have been housed there. So when it says a full company, you're talking a couple hundred. You're not talking a few people. Gathered around him, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took their staff and struck him on the head again and again. 
And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him. And they led him away. The king of the universe is there, bloody and weak. The guy who had said to the oceans, this is as far as you can come. The guy who said, mountains rise up. The guy who intimately knit you together in your mother's womb is a huddled mass of flesh. It's a hard picture to look at, isn't it? We don't like it. It's purposefully blurry on the screen because we don't like that image. We don't want to see that. We don't want to be reminded of that. And there's a piece of us, there's a piece of us that goes with our culture and says, that really yeah, may or may not have even happened. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by his humiliation. You see, today is Christ the King Sunday. A time when, when we as a church take a look at Jesus, our King, and yet it's kind of hard to look at that picture when we have this image before us because so often in our lives when we are struggling, we see not a mighty king, we see not the conquering victor, but sadly we see this guy. This guy who's beaten, this guy who's bloody, this guy who in many respects we want to help. How can we go to him with our problems? How can we go to him? I know, I, I, he can't help me, right? Don't be fooled by his humiliation. That's, that's what Satan wants you to think. That's what Satan starts working in your heart when you, when you start getting into a dark place. When you're in that dark place, Satan starts working on you to say, hey, that's the guy? You want to talk to that guy? That guy can't help you. And then it comes to his crucifixion. Don't be fooled by his crucifixion. You see, Paul gets it. Paul is, was Saul. Remember, we've talked about him a bit. He's that guy who started off his ministry thinking he was serving God by killing Christians. He stoned a bunch of them. He thought he was serving God. He thought he was being a good religious person. He thought he was doing exactly what he should until God stopped him and said, Saul, stop persecuting me. But you see, there's this other piece of Saul that we need to know about, and that Saul is a highly intellectual gentleman. And that God gave him the ability to speak before some of the most brilliant people in the world. And two of the places that he spoke are places that we get philosophy from today. How many of you have ever taken a philosophy course? Most of us have to take it at some point. How many of you have had philosophy used on you? Most of us. If you have a teacher who teaches you with questions, you've experienced philosophy. Because that was Aristotle's teaching method was questions. Don't be fooled by his crucifixion. You see, when, when Paul went and talked to the Corinthians the first time, when he met with them, there were people who were asking questions and said, this guy is foolish. Why would we follow a guy who would die on a cross? And that's a great question. Why would you follow a guy who died on a cross? If you have to think about all of the ways to die in the world, if you had to pick the superhero, how many of the superheroes that Marvel and, what's the other one? DC? I was going to, you don't mix those two up. I do know that much. I don't know which one's which, but that's okay. You don't mix those two up. But 
you also don't, how many of those superheroes have this picture behind them? That they're this horrible weakness, this horrible self-defacing, this horrible situation where nobody would consider them a superhero. They all have their normal lives, but not to this extent. None of them go to this length to save the people that they're after, right? You think through your superheroes, and they all, when they are saving people, are the superhero. That's the picture that culture says should be the king. That's the picture of a savior, is a macho person who has the ability to save you when when everything is gone. And yet our savior walks into the fury of God's wrath as he walks to his crucifixion. It's an amazing picture for us to look at. An amazing picture on Christ the King Sunday is that we don't, go back to the previous slide please, with the previous background. We don't like this image. We don't like the thought of crucifixion. We don't like looking at it. We don't like recounting it. We like Lent being once a year and that's the only time we truly have to think about it to those extents because guess what? We don't want to ponder that. And yet it is there. It is in that crucifixion, in his crucifixion, that we see true love. Don't be fooled by his love. I want you to take a look at the passages listed below. I listed them all out for you because I want you to have them. This would be one of those times where I have, as much as I use my digital Bible for just about everything, when I'm really struggling, I still pull my old paper one out. And it has lots of notes written all over it, all over the margins. I've already put the binding back together on it once and it's six years old. You gotta have one of those. That thing that that you just write in and you put notes in. I put these passages together for you tonight so that you can go home and either use version and put them all in notes in version on your phone or your computer or your iPad or so you can write them in your personal Bible because you want to have these cross-references to crucifixion because this is where you begin to see the love of your king. Don't be fooled by his love. Greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. If I pulled that out and didn't put a passage behind it, it could be a military phrase, right? It could be a good philosophy. Because honestly, as you look at that, this is, this is a general truth. Greater love hath no one than he laid down his life for his friends. You see it in the military. People won't die for their commander necessarily, but they'll die for their buddy. They're not dying for a country, they're dying for a friend. That's the perspective, and, and it's, a, it's a, just a general truth. Except for when you read through John 15, Jesus is saying this in the context of his Last Supper. And he's prepping his disciples for his departure. Go to the next one. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He's beginning to continue this picture. First John, this is John writing again towards the end of his life, reflecting back. This is what true love is. Look at what Jesus did. Keep going. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrates his love for us. I want you to underline love for us in that section. And while we were, and I want you to put a box around still sinners. Put a box around that on your, on your bulletin. It doesn't say God died for you when you became good enough to, to, to think you were following him. It doesn't say God died for you when you became a follower enough. 
It's while you are steeped in your sin, while you are lost, while you are struggling, that he says, I love you so much. And I bring this one up because so often in our lives, our relationships are based on how we feel loved by that person. How many relationships do you have that have fallen apart because that person was not nice to you? You don't like the way they're treating you. That's how marriages fall apart. We begin loving the other person in the way that they've shown us love. Well, they're not loving me the same way that they loved me when we first got married. We've grown apart. We're still not showing that kind of love. So, so, so we're going to call it quits. This is what love is. While you're a sinner, I love you. While you are ticking me off, I loved you. While you were the worst person in the world, I died for you. That's what love is. You see, you begin getting this picture of a true king, right? A king lays his life down for his people. A king's job is to protect and to ransom his people at all costs. That's the job of a king. Go to that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so what the world? Loved. You see, when you start getting this picture of crucifixion, you start seeing this picture of Jesus' humility, you see this picture of this gruesome scene. That gruesome whole scene is a picture of love. Because if it wasn't going to be Jesus, it was going to be you on that cross to bear God's wrath because of your sin, because of your disbelief, because of your doubts, because of your wandering eyes, because of your quick tongue that would have been you but this is love that he would die for you next one what's the word that's going to go in the fill in the blank don't be fooled by his it's three letters starts with a J. Don't be fooled by his joy. When was the last time you pondered the crucifixion and Jesus' humiliation as his joy? Puts a new perspective on the word joy, doesn't it? I would not consider flogging, brutal beating, crown of thorns, and a crucifixion a joyful time. And yet he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. His joy was in that he knew through his suffering on the cross, he would be buying you and me back from death. You see, we get caught up in the fact that Jesus was a humble guy. We get caught up in the fact that he was beaten and that he was crucified. And we get caught up in the fact that we don't like the picture of what he had to go through for us. And yet he says, it is my joy to go through that for you because I know that now I will be at my Father's right hand interceding for you. He sat down at the throne of God, right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you are sitting in the depths and struggling, this next 40 days, I'm going to give you this heads up, the next 40 days are the most depressed 40 days in the year. Psychologists and doctors and pastors and counselors deal with more loneliness, depression in the next 40 days 
between now and New Year's, the more cases in these next 40 days than we do the rest of the year almost combined. It's getting dark outside. We have a lot of family holidays, a lot of loneliness, a lot of depression, a lot of memories coming back, and Satan uses this as a time to attack God's people. So one of the most beautiful pictures we have is as we go into this season that we get to look at this picture and say, don't grow weary and lose heart, but fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. Because the author and perfecter of your faith isn't dead. God's not dead. Some of you have seen that video. Go ahead and go to the next one. Christ has not been raised. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. Here's the picture we have. Here's the picture. So often we get stuck on crucifixion. So often we get stuck on a God who is dying for our sins that we forget that he rose. Easter is the greater season, yet we love to focus on Good Friday. We focus on Good Friday because he died for us, and yet the greater picture is that on Easter Sunday he rose because had he not risen, he would be just like every other prophet who had gone before him and had died. Jesus' resurrection is what sets him apart from every other religious leader that has ever walked the face of the earth because he's the only one who rose. He's the only one who rose and ascended into heaven and sits at his Father's right hand, and that's why Paul writes this. That's why we looked at it a few moments ago when he was, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. Is because if Jesus has not raised, been raised, our faith is in vain. So here's the picture. Here's your receipt that Jesus is the king. He rose. His father raised him from the dead. And there were over 500 witnesses that saw him alive after his death. That's your resurrection. That's, that's your that's your payment. That's your receipt that says his payment counted for you. And then he gives us this new picture. And I'm going to have John put the picture up there. Don't be fooled. Jesus is not dead as you're filling the blank for this section. And I'm going to have you put this picture up here. Put the next picture up there. I want you to see this picture. This is why I love this Sunday. This is why I love talking about this topic. Because for the rest of the year, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a baby born in a humility, born in a stall. We're going to talk about Jesus as a humble life. And we're going to see him as a human who walked humbly. But today, today we get to focus on that king. On that being the king of king and lord of lords who is our savior. This is the one when we say, I'm calling on the one to help me in my time of trouble. This is the image I want you to be having burned into your brain. Not the humble Jesus who's dying on the cross. I want you to be seeing the victor Jesus. The king of kings who rides out triumphantly and crushes all before him. That is the picture he wants you to see today. That picture that as you ride from now through Easter, or from now through Christmas, we'll get back to this picture at Easter. When you ride from now through Christmas and you have Satan attacking you as deadlines come up and, and anxiety is raised, as you are struggling with life, as you are struggling with depression, as you are struggling with friends who are struggling with those things, I want you to take them to this picture. And if you're struggling with that, I want you to see this picture. And you don't need to actually have this actual picture. I love this picture. It's from Revelation Illustrated. 
Google Revelation Illustrated and you'll find it. It is a great set of pictures. I love the artist. That's why I actually give him credit for it. Um, I can never pronounce his name, but his last name is Smith. Um, but take a look at it. And the picture you have is recorded for you in Revelation. Now write this down. Revelation 19. So for the next 40 days, whenever somebody's struggling, when you are struggling, and you're calling out, Lord, I need help, as you're going to him, as you're pleading to him, I want you to read this section from Revelation 19. And I want you to read this section to yourself because I want you to have this picture in your mind, not of a humble Jesus born in a manger, but I want you to see the King of kings, Lord of lords, who sits on his throne today, who's ruling everything for you, and be saying, this is the guy I'm taking my problem to, the guy who rules it all. Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't be fooled. This is your king. This is the king who answers your prayers. This is the king who listens to your cries. This is the king who died and rose for you. Amen.